Well, hey guys, good morning. How y'all doing? Good. Everybody still trying to sleep off the tryptophan coma you get from all the turkey? Everybody's like, good. Yeah, we're good. Good morning. <laughs> Man, uh, so yeah, Thanksgiving this year um, was, was different. I don't know about for you guys, but it was for us. Uh, we, uh, we elected to not travel this year. So we, uh, we did uh, Thanksgiving at home. Um, and we had another family over that was also not traveling. Um, and uh, so we had, we, it, for the first year ever, I think, our family, like, cooked the turkey. Normally, I, I let my mom do that, but no, no. This year, I cooked the turkey. I smoked the turkey out, out back, and um, we, we cooked all the fix-ins with, you know, sweet potatoes, and uh, we did buy pies. So for those of you who bake, I apologize. Uh, but yeah, so we actually cooked Thanksgiving dinner this year, which was cool. It was a lot of fun. I have the burns to prove it. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, um, but it was definitely a little weird, just because normally, you know, we're, we're traveling. Normally, we're seeing big family gatherings, and, and this year, it was kind of like just us and some, some friends of ours. So I don't know about you, but uh, this year is, uh, it's getting to me. What about you? Mm-hmm. I'm tired. I'm tired. See, back in March when all this thing was announced, I was actually very optimistic. Um, I, you know, I, I'm the Pollyanna of my family. I'm always looking for the silver lining. And for me, it was like, all right, so, you know, great. All this stuff is happening. Cool. We get to stay home. Uh, we're going to make the best of it. We're going to be closer as a family. We're going to get some projects in the house done, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I was good for, for several months. Uh, but I don't know about you guys, but like my crisis response when stuff like that is happening around me, my crisis response is like, all right, push aside the, the stress, push aside the things that I worry about and just focus on the task list. And that's great in a short term. That's great. You get a lot done. But months and months of pushing stuff to the side, it starts to build up. And about August came, like late July, early August, and uh, I don't know about you, but I hit a wall. <laughs> I just hit a wall. I, all the craziness the last year just piled up, and I just found myself tired. I found myself tired, frustrated, annoyed, weary. Like, I just, I want to be done with COVID. I want to be done with the political fighting. I want to be done with murder hornets. I want to be done laughing about murder hornets. I want to be done with this year. Not that somehow on January 1st, miraculously, everything's going to switch, but I'm just, I'm just tired. And that makes celebrations this year feel a little off, right? Everything has this added weight. Everything is a little more heavy, and that's not just because of our quarantine diets, right? Yeah, by the way, this is entirely quarantine. I was like totally athletic beforehand. You didn't know me beforehand, so we're going to go with that. <laughs> but no, no, seriously. It's hard to celebrate. How do we celebrate? How do we get our hearts ready for something huge like Christmas in this season? See, for me, Christmas is like the greatest holiday. I love Christmas. Like, Christmas is the center of my year. When I think of, like, the way the year works, like, Christmas is right there in the middle 
none of this makes any sense to you guys because I'm a graphic thinker, I think, in pictures, and all of this is probably very confusing to you guys. But, <laughs> but anyway, I, Christmas is like the center of my year. I love Christmas. I love, I love getting together with family. I love the parties. I love poinsettias. I love Christmas trees. I love Christmas songs. I'm one of those people. I'm sorry, <laughs> but I love Christmas. But this year, it just seems weird. How am I supposed to celebrate? How can I get excited with all of this weight? Well, that's kind of exactly what the Christmas message is about, though, right? The Christmas message is about Jesus entering this world. That's why we're calling this series A Weary World Rejoices. It actually comes from the line from uh, uh, O Holy Night, um, where it says a weary world rejoices because it feels like we're a weary world and we need to find a way to rejoice in our weariness. We need to find a way to rejoice the amazing, earth-shattering reality of who Jesus is. But we're tired. <laughs> but that's exactly what the mission, mission of, of Jesus and the message of Christmas is all about. It's about hope entering a world that desperately needs it. So you remember, if you transport yourself back to first century Judea, where the, the land that Jesus came into, um, it, it ain't no picnic, right? I mean, we're talking first century Judea. There's rampant poverty. There's none of this, like, uh, uh, building up for advancement. It's about survival. Add to that that, that the uh, people of Judea are being occupied by a foreign pagan power, there are plagues, wars, violence. It's not unheard of to, to, for someone just to be killed on the road walking between cities because there's no, like, national police force. And add all that to this, this idea of, of exile. Now, when I talk about exile, it's important to understand the world that Jesus is coming into. The people of God, the Israelites, the Judeans, they, in this, they have this cultural identity that they've had since Moses about being called to, to be the chosen people of God, the promised people, the people who are placed on earth for the sole purpose of focusing on God and therefore being the example of what it means to be a people, to be a kingdom whose sole focus is on the creator God. And we see that all the way through the Old Testament, all the way, we have the kingdom of Israel with uh, King David, which is kind of living that out. But then they get conquered. They get sent into exile. For 300 years of those exile, they're actually not even in their homeland. But now, for another several hundred years, they're actually back in Judea. They're back in their spaces, but they're not ruling themselves. So at this point that Jesus is coming in, you're talking about a people with this cultural identity of being kings, this kingdom that's supposed to outstretch the, uh, supposed to stretch over the whole earth, and they haven't been able to rule themselves for almost 600 years. And what's more is they've been under the thumb of pagan governments, of people that do not share their beliefs, that do not understand their beliefs, and at some point, at some places, even persecute their beliefs. This is the world that Jesus came into. Now I want you to think about that. 600 years of exile, 600 years of being kept from your cultural identity. Think about that. 600 years is a long, long time. 
all right? Very long time. Think 600 years ago, just to give you an idea, 600 years ago, England and France were still in the 100 years war. All right? 600 years ago, Joan of Arc was leading campaigns. If you were to put yourself 600 years ago, you'd have to wait another 30 years before Christopher Columbus was born. All right? 600 years is a long time to wait for the realization of this promise that you've been given as a people. To put it in context, um, as Americans, we kind of have a cultural identity of Americans. We, we understand this idea of this, this grand experiment of democracy, of freedom, of this whole idea of what it means to be an American. We have this idea of the American dream. Uh, but the American cultural identity has only existed for a fraction of that amount of time. So the, the Hebrews, the Judeans, were in exile for a period of time that is probably two, maybe even three times as long as this idea of the American cultural identity has even existed. So you want to talk about this feeling of hopelessness. Imagine being kept from your promise, from your identity, for so many generations. It, you just don't expect it anymore. You start to wonder if that's even true. Are you really supposed to have a kingdom of your own? Well, obviously not. It's been 600 years. This is the world that Isaiah, one of the prophets, was preaching into. When he's, when he's talking to the people of God, he's saying, you guys are in exile. You guys are waiting for this promised kingdom to come. And he spoke directly into this, this weight of hopelessness that the people of God felt. Isaiah chapter 35, verse 5 says, Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer, and the mute... The mute tongue will shout for joy. Water will gush forth from the wilderness and streams in the desert. The blind see, the deaf hear, water in the desert. See, when Isaiah is putting together this, this prophecy, when he's telling the people of God about the coming kingdom, he's trying to paint this image of all of these seemingly permanent situations, these permanent harsh realities that the coming kingdom would completely overturn. So we have this image of, of, of the arrival of a savior, the arrival of a messiah that changes everything so deeply it's like water arriving in the desert, taking an environment that was once unchanging, harsh, and unforgiving and turning it into something new, lush, and full of opportunity. So Isaiah is preaching this idea that, guys, keep heart, keep focus, don't forget your cultural identity. I know it's been a long time, but there's a kingdom coming. There's a savior coming that's going to bring about this entire reversal of all of these things that you think are, are so impossible to change. He's going to flip it all on its head. The time of hopelessness is coming to an end. Now let's fast forward. A couple hundred years, Jesus begins his ministry on earth. There's this guy named John the Baptist who's preaching in the wilderness, and his entire ministry is about the coming Christ. A lot like Isaiah, but a lot closer to Jesus. And he's like, hey, there's this guy coming. Jesus is coming. The Messiah is coming. He's telling everybody about the Messiah on his way. And that, that disruption actually gets him arrested by Rome. And so he's sitting in a jail cell. He's sitting in a Roman jail cell. 
And he hears word that this new guy has shown up, this Galilean who's walking around, who's preaching that the kingdom has arrived. So Matthew 11, verse 2, says, When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who has come? Or should we expect someone else? In other words, he's like, dude, are you the dude? Are you the dude? Can I get excited that you're the dude? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. This is interesting. Verse 5, the blind receive sight. The lame walk. You getting what he's saying? Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Do you see the reference? In other words, John hears about Jesus and he's like, hey, are you the guy? I've been looking forward to this. I I want freedom to be excited. Are you the guy? And Jesus replies, yes. Duh. Look around. I'm healing people. The blind are seeing. The deaf are, the deaf are hearing. The water is springing in the desert. Things that were once unchanged and permanently hopeless, like leprosy, I'm healing with the touch of my hand. Jesus' arrival on earth is literally the arrival of a new hope for God's people. Because Jesus' arrival on earth is flipping all of this unchanged hopelessness for hundreds of years on its head. He's a light at the end of the tunnel. He, He by just showing up, shows us that God has more in store for you, that this is not everything. A promised end to the hopelessness and to the suffering that the people had experienced for hundreds of years. Remember, Christmas, we are not celebrating merely the birth of a baby in a manger, but the revelation of a Savior, of God on earth. We're on this side of history. So we understand that the baby in the manger grows up to be the man on the cross and ultimately the man who leaves the tomb and then gets ascended and is sitting at the right hand of the Father. All of that is, you cannot worship the baby in the manger without also worshiping the king on the throne and the man on the cross. So we understand on this side of history that this baby born is an end to sin. It's an end to the scars, to the suffering, and it's a new beginning in a new kingdom of God that, that has no borders. That is unlike any kingdom we've ever seen. Jesus is the answer to hopelessness. Sure enough, Jesus himself actually taught about this. One of my favorite verses, Matthew 11, again, this is later in the chapter, verse 28, he says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
In other words, I know you feel hopeless. You're working, you're toiling, you're going day to day, wondering when it's going to end, and I'm telling you, I'm here. The kingdom is now. Jesus is saying, I am the end of that toil. You can come to me and be a part of the kingdom and restore the promise of your identity because now you are adopted as children of God. You are not merely your past. This section of scripture always cuts right to my heart personally. Have you ever been in a situation where you feel hopeless? Where you feel overwhelmed? Like you're in a situation that's just totally above your head and have no idea what to do and there's no options in front of you and all your plans and all your future just seems broken for a second. And you don't know what to do. <laughs> for me, that, that day happened in early 2009. Um, uh, the recession, you know, the last one, <laughs> um, 2008-2009 um, hit and at the time I was working uh, at a small industrial electronics company. I was a salesman there. And the recession hit, and they couldn't cope. And uh, about a third of their staff was laid off, including me. So at the time, my wife and I were probably volunteering about 30 hours each in our church. We loved ministry, um, but it wasn't a job for us yet. Um, we just had a baby boy, Toby. At the time, he was about a year old. Um, we were scared. I remember the feeling of that day. Like, I went into work actually excited because the day before, I had just gotten a huge account. And I was like, all right, awesome, we need this. I was home by lunch with my stuff in a box. Um, I remember when my wife came home from work and she, she, at the time, she was working at a daycare center, and so she came home from work after a stressful day, and I remember the absolute horror of having to tell my wife that I lost my job and that I didn't know what tomorrow was going to look like. The next couple days and weeks were rough, trying to figure out how things are going to work. But it was interesting, because in that season... Um, I became a, a stay-at-home dad for a while. Um, and I really bonded with my son, which is awesome. He's an awesome dude. <laughs> but on top of that, God started pulling these, these strings, different things in our life, different elements of our community that were holding us to that suburb of Chicago. Things like my parents, who this is the town I grew up in. This, this is the town that they were in. Uh, my dad got a new job, and my mom and dad moved to Texas. So we lost that safety net, which was scary. My church that we were a part of was going through some, some changes. And so it kind of didn't feel like home anymore. My wife's job was shifting through some stuff and it made her feel really uncomfortable to continue working there at the time. So we had all these things that all of a sudden, all of the pieces that were holding us to Chicago were, were starting to fall away. And we had this thought that like, We've always wanted to do ministry. We have a unique experience right now where we actually could pack up and leave. And there's nothing holding us here. So that's what we did. We packed up the family and we moved to southern Minnesota. I enrolled in Bible College at Crossroads College there. 
Um, we moved the, the, the family. At that point, it was just me, Angela, and Toby into a, kind of a modified dorm. There were f- basically five dorms with a shared kitchen, and that became our apartment for several years. I waited tables for that entire time. Um, my daughter was born while we were going to school, so um, in that time, by the time I graduated, I had two little kids raised in a dorm room at Bible college. But man, those four years broke me down in terms of uh, my understanding of who God was and rebuilt me back up in a different way entirely. I have never been so excited that I have been in the years after Crossroads College about who God is and what God can do through his church. From there, I ended up in Council Bluffs, and for the last seven years, Angela and I have been ministering down in Council Bluffs, and now here I am in Whiting, and I'm exceedingly excited about the days ahead, none of which would have been possible if it wasn't for that day when I was in over my head, scared and hopeless. Have you ever felt hopeless? See, Jesus, his, his mission, his presence, his very person directly addresses our hopelessness. Because it's in him that we have purpose. It's in him that we have a mission. It's in him that we have identity. We are called children of God. Remember, don't ever settle for another, another title because it'll always be lesser. You are a child of God, and that title is only possible because of Jesus. Because this little baby who comes into the world in such a humble form in a manger and by coming into the world has ushered in a new kingdom of people that are, that are united not by politics, not by opinion, not by we're good, but simply because God loves us. We're one united people who are united aspect, our, our entire person is, is our entire identity is wrapped up in this idea that we are forgiven, that we are called children of God. That is only possible because of Jesus. So all these weights that we carry in this season all these weights that we carry, maybe it's stressing about the, the COVID numbers. Maybe you're like me and are stressed out about the political back and forth right now. Maybe it has nothing to do with the current situation. Maybe you have your own worries, financial worries that are weighing you down. They are making you not be, able to work, not be able to get excited about this season. Maybe it's, it's an addiction nagging at your heart, something that is holding you back, something that is taking your allegiance away from where it needs to be. Maybe it's just a a general weariness, tired, just wanting this to be easier. Jesus addresses that hopelessness. He asks you to take those weights and lay them at his feet. I know it's easy to say as a preacher, take the weights and lay them at Jesus' feet. But no, seriously, those things that are holding us back, those things that we have placed our identity in, those scars that we can't get over, the messes in our life that still define us, the things that keep us from truly experiencing the hope. Jesus is asking you to let them go, to lay them at his feet. 
How do we prepare for a Christmas season? How do we prepare for celebrating the birth of a king? We prepare by acknowledging that we need a king. We acknowledge the fact that he is our hope. He is our true source of hope. And so I'm going to ask you something here today. I want you to take some time this week. Maybe it's here when we pray here in a second. Maybe it's a, a quiet corner later this week. Maybe it's when you're listening uh, to, to some music or something. Maybe it's on a drive to work, whatever. Take some time this week, and I want you to go through your mind and list the weights that you are carrying right now. Just list them. <clears throat> All the things that are holding you back from being the person God wants you to be all the things that are making you focus on, on the hopelessness rather than the hopefulness of Jesus. I want you to list all those things and I want you to consciously put them down at Jesus' feet. It's harder than it sounds because I don't know about you, but a lot of us like to uh, define ourselves by our scars. And so the idea of taking our scar, taking something that we've like, no, that's me, and saying, no, it's not me, and laying it at Jesus is, is actually much harder than it sounds. But I want to encourage you to do that. I want to encourage you to take some time this week in preparation for Christmas and say, look, God is coming into the world. We are celebrating the birth of a king. And the birth of that king means that I don't have to hold on to these weights anymore. There is an answer to the hopelessness that we feel. And so in preparation for that, I want you to take those and I want you to lay them at Jesus' feet. Just lay them down. Maybe you do it tangibly, you put a rock on the ground, maybe you do it just in your head as you're driving to work. However, whatever works for you. But I want you to take that time and consciously do that this week. Preparing yourself to celebrate a savior coming into the world. Because yeah, it, at first it feels hard to prepare ourselves for Christmas this year. I would actually argue that this is the perfect year to focus on what Christmas means. Because this is about the introduction of hope into the world and right now it feels like we need a lot of hope. So let's acknowledge that. It's okay to not be okay, right? We're not going to wear our plastic smiles. We're going we're gonna to say, hey, look, this is a hard season, but we're going to lay that down at Jesus' feet. Okay, we're going to lay that down at his feet because he's king. All right, let's pray. Dear God, all of these, these weights that hold us down, this coronavirus scare, this political stress, this financial reality, whatever takes our attention away from your glory, away from who you are, God, we lay it at your feet. We lay it at your feet. You are God. You have offered us an identity. You have offered us a, a, a mission, a purpose so totally beyond anything else we can comprehend. We we grasp onto that. We hold on to that. You're addressing our hopelessness. You're addressing our weariness in this season. 
Prepare our hearts to truly have joy this season because you have answered our hopelessness, God. Prepare our, prepare our hearts to be able to truly celebrate who you are. So God, at some point this week when we do this, when we take those weights, when we lay them at your feet, God, I just, I pray that you, you, you just, you bless that interaction. I pray that you give everybody here a release, everybody here, everybody that's online watching. I pray that, that as we lay those weights at your feet, that, that God, you, you give us a freedom to be able to celebrate, to be able to breathe deep, knowing that you are here, you are here, you are here, you're coming into this world we have hope because of you. Nothing else matters. God, you are good. You are so good. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Josh.